Good morning. My name is Zach. I serve as an anchor here at Ocean City. Um, and I'm super excited to get to open God's word this morning and read today's scripture reading. So if you could please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today we're going to be reading from in 1 Thessalonians verses 6 through 10. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God became known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. All right, how's everybody doing? <laughs> People are so excited, man. Tell you what, it's so good. Love the Jags. It's always been the Jags, right? <laughs> Woo! Man, I love this passage. I, I mean, if you haven't been here uh, the last couple of weeks, um, just being able to dive into God's Word, I love how it's kind of, we're doing uh, city groups together, or uh, the city group kickoff together. Um, it's a ton of people, I can't believe, showed up to watch me with a laser pointer and point at maps, uh, which is awesome. It, but it was, it's been so good to, to, to have this season that we're, that's kind of you know, on us where, where, where we dive into city groups. We're gonna be in the same passage in city groups. We're gonna be traveling together uh, through the wor God's word and all of us together collectively. If you're not in a city group, jump into one because it's gonna be awesome. All of us are gonna be kind of unifying you know, heart, mind, soul uh, you know, together in the word of God and doing the same thing. Instead of separately you know, doing different curriculums as a city groups, we're doing them together and to kick off and, and even dig into how, how do we study God's word? How do we get context? Where are we? And then last week um, to you know, crack open some maps and you know, figure out where we are um, in First, uh, First Thessalonians as Paul writes this letter, knowing that we've got some cross context um, in Acts chapter 17, we can kind of see exactly how this church came about and uh, why Paul's so excited that just a few months or maybe, maybe just a year later, uh, he's seeing and hearing about some amazing things that's happening. But some of the language that we hear in six through 10, we were in the first six verses and we're jumping right off in verse six and just going just a, a few verses because you see uh, this, this language he's using, this language saying that they were, being, they were imitators of him and that they were, they, were, they were a model to the other people, uh, to, to Macedonia, uh, Achaia, and, and even the surrounding area, and even further than that, the gospel had gone out and they, they had done something, but there's this language of imitation. We see this in scripture uh, uh, in many different places, and it almost feels as though when the apostle Paul references the idea of being an imitator, you might get a little sense of it here where he's saying, it was good for y'all. Y'all were imitating us. Like there's an arrogance. But he, he says it even more directly uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's almost like, hey, imitate me because I'm awesome. Um, I'm doing it the right way and you need to imitate me. Um, but, but there's something deeper about this, the, the, the idea of imitation and modeling. And as I was looking at this, I was 
thinking about who we are as human beings, that at a very young age, you started to imitate. It was wired into who you are as a, as a human. Like you started to imitate the things that are going on around you. The first two people you imitated was your parents. If you grew up with a mom and a dad, you, you imitated your parents. Even when they, they didn't want you to, you would say what they said, um, even out in public in Walgreens when you didn't want them to. Um, they, they said things that, that, that you know, you did. They, they mimicked what you did. They wanted to, 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 they didn't even know what you did for a job and they would, you know, pretend like they were a computer programmer or whatever it is that you did. That's awesome, because that's what I did for a long time. Um, nerd. But they, that, that's, what, that's what they did. And then you get older and that idea of imitation um, becomes more active. I mean, as a parent now, I, the, the idea of wanting my kids to imitate me is, is a real thing. Not in an arrogant way, because there's so many things I don't want them to do. Uh, and there's so many things that my wife would say, please do not do the same things your dad does. Uh, but, but there are things that like, I, I, I take my boys and I, I teach them how to work with power tools. Like, I just don't want them, I don't know what it is. It's just something in my mind, I'm like, they can't be alive on planet earth as men and not know how to use power tools. So I teach them, like when I built my outdoor shower, if you go by my house and you see an outdoor shower and you wonder who did that amazing thing, I did it. Um, and it's awesome. And my boys helped me do it. I'm kidding. It's, it's, it is pretty nice though. And you, they, they, I taught them, you know, how, to, how, do you, how do you engineer, how do you level everything? How do you set the posts? How do you do all the stuff? I want them to know. Even my daughter, she knows how to, like if she wants something in her room, she's like, I wanna do this. Can you build me one of these? I'm like, why don't you build it? I'll show you how to build it. She builds it, sands it. Now she's super into it, builds her own shelves, does her own stuff. It's really cool. I'm really proud of them. Um, but you want, I mean, it's something that you want. You want your, and there's, there's a reason for that. I mean, I, I just want to tell some of the, the guys in here, if, you're, if your sons don't know how to change a tire, a girl may break up with him over it. I mean, I'm just telling you, uh, that may or may not have happened with one of my sister-in-laws, where she said, um, it's not you, it's the fact that you can't change a tire. And she dumped him. Um, and yeah, she married a policeman. Um, I don't know if you know who that is, but I'm sorry. I made it very obvious. <laughs> I've been picking on him for a, for a few weeks. Um, <laughs> I really have gotten on him, you know. Here comes the rooster, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so the, the, the idea of imitation, it's, it's actually something that's wired into us. Like it's something that's not, it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like we as human beings, even subconsciously, when we're reading, when we're looking at things, like when we're reading, you know, articles about, you know, the, the, you know, how much time do our kids spend on the internet? You know, what are the 10 best things I could watch on Netflix? How do I, um, you know, what, what clothes can I, am I not allowed to wear after 50 years old? Because um, my daughter tells me I can't wear white tennis shoes. I don't know why. Like, I see all these cool people wearing white tennis shoes. No, dad just clicked over 50 and that was it. White tennis shoes, gone. Um, and she's probably right. I'm sorry if you're wearing white tennies and you're, you know, 51, but you shouldn't go get rid of those, sell them to somebody else. <laughs> but, but we're reading those things, not necessarily to, and I just read this in, in Psychology Today, like we're reading a lot, of, many of the ways that we read things is we're reading those, not necessarily because we're, we're so worried about how long our kids spend on the internet. We might be worried, but underneath that, we're making sure that we're in line with everyone else. Like what, what we're wearing, what we're doing, what we're absorbing on uh, social media or absorbing on Netflix that we, we're, we've heard. We, we're kind of in with everybody else. Somebody comes to the thing and says, hey, I'm watching Yellowstone or I'm watching whatever. You know what's up because you've been watching it too. And we do those things because we're imitators. It's kind of wired into us. And if we're doing the same as everyone else, we must be doing right. Now that's the thing where it, it can go south. 
We think because we're doing it the way that everybody else does it, because we've figured out and we kind of have assimilated to one another, we do, I mean, we do it for, you know, I read in Psychology Day, we do it because it brings connection for us um, and, and brings relationship and we learn. Uh, from imitation. We figure out like we, you know, you imitate things because you're like, oh, they must know how to do it. They did it before me and we imitate. So there's good, there's good things about it. But this idea that assuming that if we're doing it the same, of, uh, same way everyone else does, we must be doing right is where things go south. Even though God created an innate desire for us to imitate and fit in, to be in a collective and be in a group that shares similar values, sometimes... Um, we are tempted to imitate the wrong things and be drawn to the wrong groups and the wrong collectives. But what's amazing about where we are in 1 Thessalonians, one of the things that the Apostle Paul is celebrating is what they were imitating. They were moving in a direction that he was super excited about, that they had become a collective that he was super excited about. They, for some reason, had stopped imitating their culture and began imitating Jesus and the saints. So I wanna, I wanna open up this passage. If you got your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter one, jumping off in verse six is where we'll be. And remember, we're, you know, if you're trying to get some context, um, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. Um, he's in Thessalonica, which is modern day Greece, Macedonia area. Um, he's now gone a, a little bit further past that and he's in Corinth. Um, and we, we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but it's a few months to maybe just a little over a year. And he's writing to them because he's heard a lot of things about what's going on and he wants to reinforce some of the amazing things that are going on. Like Paul's going in as a good pastor and he, he plants these churches and then he swoops back around and he checks in on these churches. And even after he was in prison and he was never gonna get out, he wrote letters to these churches to check in on them and encourage them. So in verse six, he's writing back to them and he says, you guys, you, you became imitators. Here's that language of us and of the Lord. And you welcome the message in the midst of suffering. So he's saying, even though it costs you something to continue to talk to people about Jesus, to be this group of people, this collective that, that had this new, new birthed ideology that centered around the truth that Jesus was the risen son of God, and that he was the one that could forgive sins. They, in the midst of this suffering, they had this joy that wasn't grounded in anything on planet earth. It came from the Holy Spirit. This new and fresh move. In verse seven, it says, and then you, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. But in verse seven, he says, you now, be, you became the model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out, not only in that area, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. So this reverberation, this movement of the gospel. And if you look on a map and you see how far that is, like if you're looking at, you know, the Jackson, that's like us. And all of a sudden, everybody in Jacksonville knows who we are. And says, man, there's something, there's a revival like Dan was talking about. There's a revival in Jacksonville Beach. It started with this, this small group of people. And all of a sudden, something's happened to that collective of people. And it spread to Jacksonville. Oh, no, goodness, it's, it's all over North Florida. Oh, my goodness, everybody, people in Miami know. They've heard about Jesus because of what's happening at Ocean City Church. That's what's happening. Wouldn't that be exciting? that that would be something that would be pumping in the veins of the people here, like this revival that's not all about us, but it's about what Jesus has done. So this thing is, it's wrung out and their faith had become known everywhere. And he says, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. We don't need to talk about it. We don't need to add anything to it. 
This is the right thing. The Apostle Paul's coming and saying, hey, this is, these are the good things. I'm not coming in here to correct you. You know, if you ever have something real good and all of a sudden you gotta add something to it? I've, I've done that before with my wife. You know, she's like, don't ever criticize my sauce or add anything to it. It is perfectly good the way that it is. And it usually is. It's just I like to, you know, sprinkle something in. Don't you need a little bit of that? But it never needs it. Jesus, her sauce is amazing, by the way. If you've ever had one of the, the grassy, the ham and sauces, it's fantastic. It's the best sauce, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, it's very good. They all make it the same. It's fantastic. Sidebar, my wife is Italian and makes great sauce. But you've got, you've got this thing where they, he's like, I don't need to say anything. It's almost as, as if he was, there was a, he was surprised that in this short order, all of these new believers were so had so experienced the power of God while he was there. I mean, he was probably a little bit proud of himself too. He preached three church services and then left. He got pressured out of town, had to go to Berea, had to catch up with Timothy. Then he ends up in Athens, that famous thing where he's, you know, the pantheon of gods. He's right there at Mars Hill and he's preaching to them. You know, he'd left behind Thessalonica and these people, he's wondering, okay, I'm gonna have to go back there, kind of straighten things out. There's a kind of a crazy, wild urban culture. And they were doing extraordinarily well. They, they were, it's just like when we're, you know, we, we, we extend our kids and we're nervous that they're not gonna do well and all of a sudden they're fine. We release them to go to school. The first time you let them off to go to school and they turn around and they look at you and you're letting them go and they go in there and they look, don't, don't look back and you're like, oh, it's so good. I thought they would cry, but they didn't. They couldn't wait to get away from dad and mom. Um, he was like, there, there's something good that's happening here. And verse nine, it says, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. All of these people where the gospel had spread, they know about when I was there. And they tell of how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You turned away from the things that, that you thought you needed. Because in their, in their culture, they had a pantheon of gods, the Greco-Roman gods. And they had a, a culture that was highly sexually charged. It was, it was full of lots of cool things, but also full of lots of sinful and brokenness. These people were trying to find life and pleasure in so many different things. And they had said, look, we're not gonna worship your idols. We're not gonna worship your gods that aren't real. We found something. We're no longer bound to that. We're no longer in bondage to trying to make ourselves valuable by engaging in these activities and being, being so swept away in this culture. They separated from that, that culture. They were in that culture, but they didn't act like that culture. They had found their joy in God. They had found their joy in the message of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. They had done something different. So they turned from God um, and from those idols and they turned to the living and true God. Like we said last week, they, they experienced deep, they experienced being chosen by God and they experienced deep conviction. So in being chosen by God and brought into a new family, the family of God, they all of a sudden realized, hey, there's some things attached to my life that I don't need anymore. There's some things attached to my life that don't really belong here in this new community, this beautiful new community. I no longer have to be chained to, to this sin or to this brokenness or to this addiction. And they had deep conviction that all of a sudden they were able to shed all of those things and even more aggressively carry the gospel. In verse 10 it says, and then they, they were able to think about and wait for the son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. I love that because it's talking about the second coming of Jesus. We don't often talk about that. That Jesus is coming back. Say it again. Jesus is coming back. There we go. That's a little better. How about one more time? 
Does that mean we, we can scream Duval, but Jesus is coming back. Here we go. He's coming back and, and he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. One of the main themes that we'll see here as we read uh, these two books is this idea of what it looks like to anticipate Jesus coming back and what it, how we, what's our posture? Are we supposed to, you know, all of a sudden close all the doors, separate, you know, not let, you know, let, don't touch any of the, the society that we're in, don't be involved in society, but just batten down the hatches and wait for Jesus to return? Or how do we engage in culture? That's what's fascinating about some of these books. But they were waiting for Jesus to return, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. I love this, this summary um, in Eugene Peterson's like poetic um, rendition of scripture. In, in verses seven through 10, he says it this way. Do you know that all over the provinces of Macedonia and Achaia, believers look up to you? The word has gotten around. Your lives are echoing the master's word, Jesus' word, not only in the provinces, but all over the place. So when we think about a vision of what it looks like to be the people of God. I think there's three questions that are, are really good to, to always, I was thinking about, okay, when I read a passage like this, it's cool to read all the stuff, to see what was happening at the time, but also to think, even, even as I painted the picture of what would it look like for us, for, for the, the city of Jacksonville to say, there's a revival in Jacksonville Beach. For the people in Miami to say, there's a revival in Jacksonville Beach. What would it look like even in my own household for me to say, man, I can't believe the difference between what my life looks like now and what it looked like in 2020. God's doing something. The Holy Spirit is just moving in and through my children, in and through my household. What would it look like? And so I started to ask myself some questions from the passage and say, is this, what's, is this what my life looks like? Self-evaluation type questions. Like thinking, okay, if this is what it looks like to follow God, and this is what's, what, what, these, what was happening is as a result of them experiencing God, this was the result. Then to look at my own life and say, okay, well, is that my life? Self-evaluation. So three questions that we wanna ask ourselves. I wanna glean from this passage. One is, who or what am I imitating? Because they were being celebrated, what? In verse six, it says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. These people were, were imitating other saints and they were imitating God. Just as it's like it says in Ephesians 5, that, that we're imitators of God, like dearly loved children, that there's something that God breathes into us, the ability to be image bearers. Even as broken as we are, we've got new DNA. Are we image bearers? What are we imitating? And you might think that language kind of makes us think, well, I don't really have anybody that I idolize. I mean, when I, when I hear that, I'm like, who do, I, who, do I, who do I wanna be like on planet earth? You know, who do you, you wanna surf like or play music like or just be like in general? And you might think, oh man, I have some distant, you know, I wanna do some things like people, but in terms of like walking around going, I'm gonna imitate that person. As we, you know, as you get to be adults, maybe you innately and subconsciously imitate your parents when you're younger, but you get older and you become your own individual person. I don't imitate anything. Well, let me rephrase the question because I, I think all of us kind of have a little of that in us. Like, well, I don't really imitate anything. That's, I, you know, I try to read the Bible. I wanna be Christ-like, you know, that's what Jesus people say. But here, here, let's ask it this way. What do you look at? What do you spend your time looking at and thinking about? And why do I say that? Well, I say that because English poet William Blake says, we become what we behold. 
We become what we look at. We become what we behold, what we put in front of us, what we spend time with, who we spend time with. We begin to be like, we begin to imitate. So now I think that gets us a little bit more on the ground to ask the question, who or what am I imitating? What am I beholding? What's in front of me? It's a good self-evaluation question because there's so many things that we grab a hold of that shape who we are. And for us, we're in a society and in a culture, and this isn't like knock iPhone day, but we, we, you know, we've, we've, started, we've, we've ceased to look outward at the world around us and we've ceased to look up and think about who God is and we, we definitely get caught up in looking at our phones and looking at this is the place where I get all the information when I need to learn how to do something. Now again, the, the device in, in and of itself is benign. The internet in and of itself is benign, but the, the potential for good and bad on each side is extreme, right? Because can, I can learn how to fix a lawnmower. That's pretty awesome. You know, I can YouTube it now. Yeah, people can fix things that we couldn't, we had to call a special person, you know, years ago when I was growing up in the eighties, I mean, there was just no, you, something broke and it was just like, I guess it's going to be broke for a while until the guy comes and fixes it. Now it's like, and you go, you order the stuff on Amazon. It's there in like five seconds. And you're like, wing, 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 wing. It's done, honey. You know, you can do it. Some of you can, if you can work with power tools that are your real men. But it's where we get our information. It's where we get, it's, it's what begins to shape us. I mean, I asked some of our students in student ministry, like, how'd you learn that? Like, I see them doing amazing things, whether it's a, a dance or information. And they're like, I learned that on TikTok. TikTok, they learn it on TikTok. Some of you are, they hung your head just then because you're like, yeah, I learned something on TikTok too. The diet I'm currently on, I learned on TikTok. Um, and and it's, it's, I'm not telling you that at TikTok, again, it's not, it's like, is it bad? Should you, you know, should you be watching TikTok? Maybe it is a warning for all of us. And I'm sitting in this with you because I'm in the culture that you're in. I mean, it, we, we, there's, a, there's got to be, is there, a, is there a, a dividing line between what is good, what is wholesome, what is right, what is lovely? What is it that we're absorbing in life? And, you know, there might be some things that we see on TikTok that are, that are fine. But you look at it long enough, you ever, I mean, just anything on the internet, reels. Like you look at reels. I know some of you are like, I have no idea and you're not on Instagram and I understand, I get it. But if you are and you've got a clear, you can get the vortex of, I can't, how, it's four o'clock? How did it, how did it become four, honey? Cause you were looking at monkeys scratching their butt on reels. You know, you're looking at kittens doing whatever. Um, but, but then things pop up. You see things, you're exposed to things. And there, there's a, I can't, Advertisers and people, I mean, I could just outside of the Bible could tell you, people are controlling our mind and our hearts in and through the devices that we don't have the ability to set down. And so when I'm asking the question, what is it, what, do, what are we beholding? You know, it's, are the life hacks important enough for us to sacrifice what you might be sacrificing in the way that we passively absorb information. And again, I'm not telling you not to, to look something up on YouTube to figure out how to fix it. I'm not telling you to X everything out, out of your life. Maybe some of you do for a season just to, just to get, get sober off social media. I mean, that, that may need to happen. But what are we imitating? And what, is, what does it look like? Now, am I, am I saying that what we see in verse six and what they're being in terms of imitators is all about 
you know, legalism and the Apostle Paul was glad because they didn't do all the bad stuff. No, the Apostle Paul was, was looking much deeper than that. He was saying they had experienced God so much that those things seemed to be not valuable anymore. The reasoning for engaging in the culture, and this makes me think the reasoning for me to engage here, how, when does that become less important? When does that become less useful to me? Well, for them, it wasn't useful in carrying the gospel. For them, it wasn't useful in the way that they were going to raise their kids in the way that they were gonna be, be, be image bearers. It wasn't about a guilt thing. It wasn't about, Paul told us we weren't allowed to do this. It was just about them evaluating and going, you know what, that's part of that world. And I've been adopted into a new family and my joy comes from somewhere else. And there's, there's this transition that had taken place with them so that they naturally became models and imitators. They, they, they naturally became imitators of good things. And there was something else that was in front of them. They were, they, were, they were chewing up and just absorbing the word of God. It's one of the reasons we're doing city groups the way that we're doing. It's one of the reasons that we're, we're helping grab some context by looking at, you know, getting the laser pointer out and starting with Genesis and walking through the whole area of the Old Testament to see where all of these things take, take place, to see that these were real locations that this is what we see in the Bible. These are real people going through real things. They were intersecting a holy God that has changed them. And it's possible that that same God could change us. And for many people in this room, he has changed you. And so what effect does that have on the way that we live our lives? What are we beholding? What's changing us? What are we absorbing? Second question is, what does it mean for me to be a model? This one's even tougher for me to, to ask. Like, so when I'm asking, okay, what am I imitating? What is it that I'm beholding? What's, what's in front of me all the time? Because that's, that's a legitimate thing. We, we, do, we do become what we behold. What does it mean for me to be a model? In verse seven, it says, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, a model. And that's hard for me to even say, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be the one that everybody's supposed to look at. You want to know how to live life? Follow me. You know, I'm going to do it. I also hear model and I think of Zoolander. I don't know why. I just do. The three people that laugh that have seen that movie and understand Blue Steel. Um, but you, you, you read that and you're like, it's, it's almost that, that thing that I'm immediately, I think, it's what, what I thought about when I, as I was growing up in a in a highly religious Christian school. I went to a Christian school for 15 years, which is some amazing things. I, I was just talking to Lindsay Wire about this. I learned, just learned the Bible and some amazing people that mentored me, but I missed the gospel while I was there. It was all about how the, all the things that you have to X out of your life so that you could be loved by God. Like, how, can I, how clean can I get? How, how, how much, you know, don't do this, don't do that. And those were the reasons. Not that those weren't things that I probably shouldn't be doing. It was, that was the basis for God loving me. So when I read something like, or even ask that question, you know, what does it mean for me to be a model? I think immediately that feels like that's not the gospel. Because the gospel is about, I've been saved by grace, not by works, right? I've been saved, you know, for by grace you've been saved through faith not of works, lest any man should boast. Should I clean myself up and be so worthy of being a model so that I could go, <laughs> well, that sounds like boasting, right? So there's something here that's a little different. I even remember when I first 
did anything in student ministry, probably shouldn't have at the time, but you know, people, student ministry people, were all desperate to have anybody serve. So I got brought in to doing student ministry and leading a small group. And I remember right when I started, the guy that was leading the ministry read this little poem to us called Little Eyes Are Watching. Basically like, hey, when you leave here and you cruise around town and you're doing, you know, living life, just remember there's 150 kids that go to this youth group. They all live in the same town and their little eyes are watching. They're gonna see you out. And I'm just thinking, man, my, I was, you know, just two shades away from a dirt bag, you know, smoking cigarettes. Not that them if you smoke, it's fine. I'm just saying, I just was doing all the things that you tell your teenagers not to do. I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. I was probably doing them. And so this terrified me. Here's a little bit of the poem. There are little eyes upon you and they're watching you day and night. I mean, that just terrifies me right there. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do all the things that you do. And it went on and on and on. And by the end of it, I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. Because I was scared. I was like, man, that doesn't. So I know it's not that. That's not what, what, what's in here that the Apostle Paul was excited about. So the question is, what were they modeling? What were people seeing that they were like, that is amazing, and it was propagating, where it spread to, you know, it's in Jacksonville Beach, it's Jacksonville, it's to Miami. For them, it was Macedonia, Achaia, and beyond. What was the thing that was changing them? The Apostle Paul talked about it. He said, what, what was the thing that became known everywhere? You got your Bible, look it up and tell me. What was the thing that became known everywhere? Look right there in the passage of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 6 through 10. What does it say? Somebody shout it out. Don't be shy. You got it. Anybody, somebody said it? Keep going. It says, has be it says blank, 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 has become known everywhere. Faith, there we go. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. It was their faith. It was their belief. It was, it was again, their lives had changed. Their deep conviction had changed the way that they lived their lives. That there, was, there was a difference about them. They were no longer headlong into the culture. But the thing that the Apostle Paul was talking about, the thing, the, the modeling that was happening was their faith. It was their belief. It was the, the driving force that was changing everything that they believed. I mean, you've ever had somebody that's like, can't believe that you believe, that finds out you're a Christian? Like when they finally figure it out, they see, they see your life and, and there's something that's happening and they, they understand. They're like, oh, oh you're, you, you're a believer. And then they can't believe that you believe. They're like, you really believe that stuff. You really have faith in these things. And they think about what it means to believe that, that, that God himself came down from heaven to rescue us in the, in the form of Jesus Christ, that he came down and he died on a cross to bleed out on Mount Calvary for our sins. And then he died, he was put in a grave. And then by the power of God, he was raised from the dead. They believed that. And the fact that they believed that their faith had become so strong and the effect of their faith and belief was the thing that people were like, was what was getting propagated. Started with 100 of them, then it was 200, then it was 500. It was just exploding all through the region. It was the revival that was going, that was happening. It was their faith. 
You think about the, the Jaguars win. You knew I was gonna use it as an illustration, right? You think about, I mean, what, what Trevor Lawrence says, you know, in his interviews, he said it over and over again last night. You know, everybody asks, well, how, you know, how did you get to that point where it's like you threw four picks, man, and, and things weren't looking good. Y'all were getting walloped uh, in the first half. He said, not one person on the team stopped what? Believing. <laughs> Y'all all know that. It took us forever. To, where in the Bible do we go? Believe I heard Trevor Lawrence say it five times. <laughs> Going to hell. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Belief. He said, we all believed collectively. I remember one of the announcers when I was watching late last night. Oh, Ricky, I see you, man. I just feel so some man right there. Come on, Jaguars. That man, he's been suffering years, all of us. He kind of represents all of us in some ways, Ricky. You know, the heart, heartache of the Jaguars and then the victory. But last night I was watching this interview or uh, watching this announcer talk about wondering, you know, like going, gosh, are we going to just be the, the old Jaguars fans that halftime, everybody kind of disappears, you know, and it's either they're getting snacks or they're leaving. And typically Jaguar fans, what are we doing? We're leaving, right? Uh, we're leaving the stadium. And then he said it was just the coolest thing to realize they were just getting snacks because the place was packed. Everybody came back out. You know why? Because they believed. There was something in there. There was a little bit of, there was hope that was rising up. That, that touchdown before the half, something was like, okay, this is the real deal. Belief, faith, wasn't religion. Paul was like, I'm not excited. He goes, I was a Pharisee. I was as clean. I did all the right things. I said all the right things. I was cl as clean on the outside as anybody had ever been. And I was a murderer. He's like, the whitewashed tombs that Jesus was talking about was not what Paul was excited about with the Thessalonians. He was excited about this collective of a whole bunch of different people. Greeks and Jews, and all of a sudden, under one name, under one banner, they believed they had faith that could change things by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what they were modeling. That's what they were excited about. So what does that look like for, for you and for me? I remember when I, was, when I got into ministry, and this was kind of a slow burn thing where I realized it's not about religion. It's not about leading people to be better people. It's about leading them to Jesus, to realize that he's worthy of worship. And I remember leading college students in, in my house and we'd have you know, 20, 30, sometimes 40 students in there and we'd have worship gatherings and, and it was awesome. It's like the whole house would be jam packed and there'd be some, one person on a guitar, somebody on a djembe, classic, you know, just doing the thing. And there'd be guys, the coolest guys you've ever seen and that were college students raising their hands, cl closed eyes, just, just you could see that, that they had been changed by Jesus, that they loved Jesus, that they knew that their joy, they'd, they started finding joy in, a, in another place. And my kids would sometimes trickle downstairs because it was really noisy and they were supposed to be in bed and you'd hear those little feet, you know, run down the stairs and then they would just stand there and just, they would stare and watch. It was one of the most powerful things, one of the most heartwarming things as a dad to think, okay, that's what I want for my kids. I, I know that I want them to not stumble. I, I don't want them to fall. I don't want them to fall into this sin. I don't want them to lose their mind when they become teenagers. I don't want these things to happen. And you wanna control all those things as parents. But I realized in that moment, what I want for my kids is that they would become worshipers. Not that they would figure out all the moral code and figure all that out. Because I realized if, if they became worshipers, if they believed and they became worshipers and they realized this is where hope is found, this is where joy is found, 
All of that other stuff begins to take care of itself. That's where the dip, deep conviction comes. In the presence of the Holy Spirit in worship, deep conviction happens. I realize that I'm chosen. And instead of begrudgingly leaving things behind going, well, my fun life over there is now over and I'm gonna have to go for lame life. No, you realize that was bondage. That was darkness. That, that was my road to hell. And I've now been led into the light and I've become a worshiper. And I realize my eyes are open. I can see the truth. That is what these people were modeling. That's what we get excited about here at Ocean City Church is not, you know, oh, we've all gotten better. But no, God's changed us. We realize where the better portion is. So asking the question, what are we imitating? What does it look like for us to be a model? And lastly, am I still amazed by God? I love this question. Am I still amazed by God? And what I mean by that is, I think for, for many of us, we've, we've, you've grown up in the Southeast and maybe religion and church and the whole Jesus thing has just become a normal thing to you. But these people, these were new believers. The church at Thessalonica, these were people that it was like all of a sudden you had, you had a handful of people and then you just had a whole ton of people and all of them were just fresh and new experiencing their faith and they were in awe of God. Maybe you've never been in awe of God. Maybe you've never been to that place and realized that you were broken and sinful and there's a holy God and you're separated from him. And the fact that you've been brought back together with him doesn't mean that much to you. But there's a moment for many people in the room where you realize I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it, but I received unconditional love from Jesus and he loves me. He's not looking at my past going, you can't come to me. He's He's calling me home constantly. He's done all of the work that needs to be done on the cross of Jesus Christ so that I can come before the throne of grace so that I can be called son or I can be called daughter by God. Maybe that's never overwhelmed you. But I love, I love talking to new believers because they're, they're still wide-eyed walking around. They can't believe they're like, I don't know how I ended up in church. Last place I wanted to be, but I'm just, I, I'm here. And, and oh my goodness, I, I, I love Jesus. I have that conversation and, and, and sometimes in my mind, I'm like, man, I wanna get back to that place. If any of you, I don't, some of you may, may know Kyle Rader, but he, we, during the life course, he came, uh, not a Christian, didn't, didn't even really want, he, was, he came because he liked two people that he worked out with at the CrossFit gym and said, I'll get there. And they said, hey, we're doing this thing called the life course, which if you've not heard about the life course, it's our apologetics class, but it's kind of, we, we kind of put a fun OCC spin on it. It's awesome. And uh, he came and came the first night and realized, okay, these people are just talking about, you know, you know the, the evidence for Jesus existing and that Jesus is real. And he's, he's like, I just don't believe in that. Maybe there's a God, but the whole Jesus thing, not down with it. You know, based on my life, my experience, my past, I mean, if there's a God, I don't even wanna know him because I've been through a bunch of stuff. So he was like, I'm not, com not coming back. But he didn't tell the people he came with. He just had made the decision, this is it for me. I came to the first one, checked the box, don't wanna be there. So that weekend, he jumps on a plane to go to Philadelphia to see, to see family. And a, a buddy of his heard he had gone to that, the, you know, the, the life course and had given him a Bible. And for whatever reason, it was in his bag. So he reaches down and he grabs the Bible. It's the only thing to read. He gets on the plane. He's like, oh, I'm just gonna look at this thing. And the person next to him leans over and says, what you got there? And uh, he says, it's a Bible. A friend of mine gave me, gave me, and I really don't believe in the whole whole Jesus thing. And the person said, well, what, what did you, how did you get it? Well, I was going to this, thing called the life course. And somebody brought me, you know how Christians are, they drag you to these weird things. 
And they brought me to this thing, and I, uh, I, I, you know, I ended up with this Bible. And she said, the life course, she goes, Where, where, where'd you go to church? And uh, he said, it was, uh, I think it was Ocean City Church. And he said, yeah, these, they had group leaders there named uh, Chris Dell and Mary Beth Dell. And she goes, yeah, that's uh, Mary Beth's my daughter. Chris is my son-in-law. He's like, and you're going to Philadelphia? And he's just like, You know, like just cha- like, and, and it didn't happen right then, but they talked the whole way to Philadelphia about OCC, about all the, you know, just the, the weirdness of the fact. He's like, you're on a plane to, he's like, and he, he said at the end of the, the plane, right, he's like, he looked at her and he said, he said, I guess I gotta go back to the life course, don't I? And she goes, yeah, I think so. <laughs> and so he goes to the life course and on the life course weekend, we just, you could see it on his face. He just, God was intersecting him by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's no other way to describe it. It wasn't anything anybody said to him. It was just the presence of God. The dude was, God was on him. I mean, just chasing him, chasing him down. And he was like, he had no choice. And the dude doesn't seem like a guy that cries all the time. He's a pretty tough looking dude. And uh, all he did was cry on the weekend. And then now if you see him, he's just in a day, like he's just, loves Jesus and amazed by God. If you describe Kyle Rader, when you walk around him and see him, every conversation that you have is gonna be like, you'll never believe what God did. You'll never believe what my day was like. You'll never believe what happened. And he'll go back to his story and go, can you believe I ended up on the life course and I ended up here? I didn't even believe in Jesus. I didn't think Jesus was real. I thought all that stuff was stupid. I thought people were believing in zombies and weird stuff and I didn't even know what was going on. And here I am. And he's, he's amazed by God. Laura Carmichael, another one, if any of y'all know her. I mean, just... God overwhelmed her, somebody that would not, I mean, if you hear her story, like it's amazing that she's a, a follower of Jesus and, and she's just lighting the world on fire. Like she's just loving people all around her in every way that she can that she's like, I have no reason to, they, they are undeserving of it, but I'm gonna give it to them because that's what I got from Jesus. And she's just, I'm telling you, um, follow her on Instagram and see all the cool stuff that she's doing in our community and just amazed by God overwhelmed. And so what does that do for me? It it makes me ask the question, am I still amazed by God? Because what the apostle Paul was excited about when he, when he writes letters to these churches, he's not, he doesn't, he's not looking for a bunch of other Pharisees. He wants them to be amazed by God. He wants them to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to, he says to the church at Ephesus, he says, my, my desire for you, what I pray for you is that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would know God, that you would have a revelation, that something would change. He wants them to be amazed by God. And then he goes on to say, because then you'll understand the depths of the knowledge of God. You'll understand exactly what it means that Jesus died on the cross and you'll, you'll, it will overwhelm you. And when I hear those words and then I see Kyle Rader's face and I see a Laura, Laura Carmichael's face, it all starts to make sense. But that's never supposed to end. We're supposed to be time and time again amazed by God. So what does it look like to be amazed by God? I want you to look at this video real quick. It's of somebody seeing color for the first time. They have these glasses where somebody that's colorblind can see color. And none of these people that, that do this, they don't even, they're, some of them don't really care that much. They're just like, oh, okay, my family member got me these glasses. I'm going to put them on, but it, I've been, I'm fine being colorblind. Like it's not been a huge deal. And they're, they, it's unassuming. They're just like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll put them on. And then watch what happens. It's pretty cool. Your siblings are all, we're all happy. 
to be a, a part of this. Love it, the son that's irritated. Dad, come on, put him on. Get some color in there. He's shaking, man. That's good. Isn't that amazing? Just to be able to, to experience that. And what's interesting to me and, and why I showed that is I think about you and I. We all see color, most of us. Somebody in here might be colorblind. I do know somebody in here, I think that is. Um, we see color, but do we, do we look at it and we go, there's blue. I mean, we just don't walk outside and just go, I cannot believe that I see in 4K, I can see color. I see it all. It's all in there. What happens? It's just, it's what, it's life. But we're used to it. It becomes something that we subconsciously do. And it becomes mundane, it becomes old, it becomes this thing that's just like, ah, it's, it's just part of the deal. Until we see somebody that experiences color for the first time and we're like, oh, wow, it is cool that we see color. Are the rods in our eyes, can you believe that God created those things? Now, think about this, if you're a follower of Jesus, and if maybe if you don't know Jesus yet, this is what we're inviting you into, that there's an, exp there's an experience, I know that can scare people, that, that word, there's something that can transition in the heart by the power of God when you believe by faith in who Jesus is, that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, that you believe that he loved you so much that he didn't wanna be separated from you, that he gave away his life to pay for your sin, to, to wash away your sin, to take your guilt, your shame, your hurt, the sin against you even, into the grave, that you might be healed, that you might be renewed, that your joy might be found in something other than what's on planet earth, that that gap in your, in your heart to, to be known and to be loved, to feel worthiness, that you've been trying to chase and fill it with so many different things that God's come to fill that for you and it overwhelms you. It changes who you are. We wanna remember that. How, how do we keep fighting for it? I, I, it's just like watching something on TV or reading about it in a book, like the Grand Canyon, just reading about it or watching it on TV. You might have 
fun with the family, watching a Grand Canyon special, eating popcorn, just sitting in a chair irreverently, you know, going, oh, that's pretty cool, man. My TV's awesome. Then you go stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to cry like a baby. You're going to think about God instantly. So what does that say about, about us if we're not seeing in color, if you get what I mean? These are the moments we engage together. And this is, you might sound like pastor talk because I'm like, you know, wanting you to be at church more, but you should be at church more. You should come with an expectant heart saying, I want to experience God. I want to be in worship. I want to be in that place. You know what? It doesn't feel like I should, I want to be there right now. I don't really care about putting the glasses on. I don't even know if I'm, it doesn't really matter. And you're going to put the glasses on and it's going to overwhelm you. And you're going to be amazed by God. And when you're amazed by God, you're going to be like what the apostle Paul said. You're going to be image bearers. You're going to be a light. Brett, in our first gathering, if y'all know Brett, he said, I want y'all to remember that you're lights. And he was talking about himself, what this church has represented to him, that you have a Christ in you, that you have something in you that's worth shining. He said, don't ever stop. You have no idea what you're doing out in the world with other people. And I thought, man, this is what the Apostle Paul is excited about. This is what's possible for us, that we would be amazed by God and remember what he's done in our heart and that we would carry that to other people, not, as a, not, not like, I've got it all figured out, I'm sinless now, but no, walking around amazed. People that are in love with the Savior, overwhelmed by what he's done for us, shocked. You know, in Isaiah chapter six, and I'll end here, Isaiah the prophet, he, God just blesses him with this experience where he takes him up to see what the throne room looks like. And he moves into the throne room and it's, it's, the, it's this at the very top of the passage in the year that King Uzziah died. I was high and lifted up. I was brought into the throne room and the train of the, the king's robe, God's robe filled the temple and there were these seraphim surrounding the throne. And I always think about the seraphim not as like small little, you know, birds in there that are flapping their wings, but like, like these, these glorious creatures that are as big as a football stadium. And the throne room's as big, you know, as five stadiums. And, and, and God's in the center on a throne and they're, they're flapping their wings and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in that moment, amazed by God, he's broken. What happens instantaneously in experiencing God? He says, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He didn't feel like he was better than everybody else. In fact, he's like, we're all broken. We're all other than, we're all different than you. And then what happens? One of those wind creatures that's saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Comes with a coal and sears his lips and said, your sin has been atoned for. You have been forgiven. And in his brokenness, he's sitting there broken, knowing that he's not worthy, but he's standing in God's presence thinking, am I gonna, he says, I'm ruined. I'm undone. I might die. God says, who will go for me? Who will go for me? Isaiah's like, I'll go. I'll go. Now, you look at the church at Thessalonica, what do you think happened to them? What do you think caused the explosive movement of the gospel from their small area to their metro area, Jack's Beach, Jacksonville, North Florida, Miami, United States of America. What, what happened to Macedonia, Achaia, and everywhere? They experienced God. They were amazed by God. And 
then they became imitators. Then they became modelers. Let's stand. God, we wanna see you. God, we, we pray in this room the same prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed to the Ephesians, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we would see you, that we would experience you, that we would stand in your presence that we wouldn't flippantly just take the glasses and set them on the counter and say, we don't need those, but we would desire to, to see your presence in full color, that we wanna experience you, that we wanna, we wanna understand, have a knowledge of you, that we wanna look in our mind's eye at the, the, the cross and see you hanging there and be crushed by it, be broken by it, be revived by it, be moved by it. Just come, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do by the power of your Spirit. Jesus.